Section twenty six of the Ingoldsby Legends, first series. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Ingoldsby Legends, first series, by Richard Harris Barham. Section twenty six. The following communication will speak for itself. On their own actions, modest men are dumb. Some account of a new play. In a familiar epistle to my brother in law, Lieutenant Seaforth, H.P., late of the Honourable E.I.C.'s 2nd Regiment, of Bombay Fencibles. The Play's the Thing. Hamlet. Tavistock Hotel, November 1839. Dear Charles, in reply to your letter, and Fanny's, Lord Brougham, it appears, isn't dead, though Queen Anne is. Twas a plot and a farce. You hate farces, you say. Take another plot, then, viz., the plot of the play. The Countess of Arundel, high in degree, as a lady possessed of an earldom in fee, was imprudent enough at fifteen years of age, a period of life when we're not over sage, to form a liaison, in fact to engage, her hand to a hop of my thumb of a page. This put her papa, she had no mamma, as may well be supposed in a deuce of a rage. Mr. Benjamin Franklin was wont to repeat in his budget of proverbs, stone kisses are sweet, but they have their alloy, fate assumed to annoy, Miss Arundel's peace and embitter her joy, the equivocal shape of a fine little boy. When through the young stranger her secret took wind, the old lord was neither to haud nor to bind, he bounced up and down, and so fearful a frown, contracted his brow you'd have thought he'd been blind. The young lady, they say, having fainted away, was confined to her room for the whole of that day, while her bow, no rare thing in the old feudal system, disappeared the next morning, and nobody missed him. The fact is his lordship, who hadn't, it seems, formed the slightest idea, not e'en in his dreams, that the pair had been wedded according to law, conceived that his daughter had made a faux pas, so he bribed at a high rate, a sort of a pirate, to knock out the poor dear young gentleman's brains, and gave him a handsome douceur for his pains. The page thus disposed of his lordship now turns his attention at once to the lady's concerns, and alarmed for the future, looks out for a suitor, one not fond of raking nor given to the pewter, but adapted to act both the husband and tutor, finds a highly respectable middle-aged widower, marries her off, and thanks heaven that he's rid of her. Relieved from his cares, the old peer now prepares to arrange in good earnest his worldly affairs, has his will made anew by a special attorney, Sickens takes to his bed and sets out on his journey. Which way he travelled has not been unravelled. To speculate much on the point were too curious. If the climate he reached were serene or sulphurious, to be sure in his balance sheet all must declare one item. The page was an awkward affair. But per contra he'd lately endowed a new chantry, for priests with ten marks and the run of the pantry. Be that as it may, it's sufficient to say that his tomb in the chancel stands there to this day. 
built of Bethersden marble, a dark bluish grey, the figure a fine one of pure alabaster, some cleanly churchwarden has covered with plaster, while some vandal or Jew, with a taste for virtu, has knocked off his toes to place, I suppose, in some Pickwick museum with part of his nose. From his belt and his sword and his misericord, the enamel's been chipped out and never restored. His CG in old French is inscribed all around, and his head's in his helm and his heels on his hound. The palms of his hands, as if going to pray, are joined and upraised o'er his bosom, but stay, I forgot that his tomb's not described in the play. Lady Arundel, now in her own right, appears, perplexes her noddle with no such nice queries, but produces in time to her husband's great joy another remarkably fine little boy. As novel connections oft change the affections and turn all one's love into different directions, now to young Johnny Newcomb she seems to confine hers neglecting the poor little dear out at dry nurse nay far worse than that she considers the brat as a bore fears her husband may smell out a rat for her legal adviser she takes an old miser a sort of poor cousin she might have been wiser for this errant deceiver by name morris beaver a shocking old scamp should her own issue fail by the law of the land stands the next in entail. So as soon as she asked him to hit on some plan to provide for her eldest, away the rogue ran to that selfsame unprincipled seafaring man. In his ear whispered low, Bully Gossen and Dunn, I burked the papa, now I'll bishop the son. T'was agreed, and with speed, to accomplish the deed. He adopted a scheme he was sure would succeed by long cock-and-bull stories of candish and norries of drake and bold raleigh then fresh in his glories acquired mongst the indians and rapparee tories he so worked on the lad that he left which was bad the only true friend in the world that he had father onslow a priest though to quit him most loth who in childhood had furnished his pap and his broth, at no small risk of scandal, indeed, to his cloth. The kidnapping crimp took the foolish young imp on board of his cutter so trim and so jimp, then seizing him just as you'd handle a shrimp, twirled him thrice in the air with a whirligig motion, and soused him at once neck and heels in the ocean. This was off Plymouth Sound, and he must have been drowned, for twas nonsense to think he could swim to dry ground, if a very great warman, called Billy the Norman, had not just at that moment sailed by outward bound, a shark of great size with his great glassy eyes, sheared off as he came and relinquished the prize, so he picked up the lad, swabbed and dry-rubbed, and mopped him, and having no children, resolved to adopt him, Full many a year did he hand reef and steer, and by no means considered himself as small beer, when old Norman at length died and left him his frigate, with lots of pistoles in his coffer to rig it. 
A sailor ne'er moans, So consigning the bones Of his friend to the locker of one Mr. Jones, For England he steers ; On the voyage it appears That he rescued a maid from the Dey of Algiers, And at length reach'd the Sussex coast, where, in a bay, Not a great way from Brighton, most cosily lay His vessel at anchor, the very same day That the poet begins, thus commencing his play. ACT I. Giles Gawson accosts old Sir Morris de Beaver, And puts the poor knight in a deuce of a fever, By saying the boy whom he took out to please him, Is come back a captain on purpose to tease him. Sir Morris, who gladly would see Mr. Gawson, Breaking stones on the highway, or sweeping a crossin', Dissembles, observes, it's of no use to fret, And hints he may find some more work for him yet, Then calls at the castle, and tells Lady A, That the boy they had ten years ago sent away, Is returned a grown man, and to come to the point, Will put her son Percy's nose clean out of joint, But adds that herself she no longer need vex, if she'll buy him, Sir Morris, a farm near the X. Oh, take it, she cries, but secure every document. A bargain, says Morris, including the stock you meant? The captain, meanwhile, with a lover-like smile, and a fine cambric handkerchief wipes off the tears from Miss Violet's eyelash and hushes her fears. That's the lady he saved from the day of Algiers. Now arises a delicate point, and this is it. The young lady herself is but down on a visit. She's perplexed, and in fact does not know how to act. It's her very first visit. And then to begin, by asking a stranger, a gentleman in, one with moustaches too and a tuft on his chin. She really don't know. He had much better go. Here the countess steps in from behind and says no. Fair sir, you are welcome. Do pray stop and dine. You will take our pot-luck, and we've decentish wine. He bows, looks at Miss, and he does not decline. Act Two. After dinner the captain recounts with much glee All he's heard, seen, and done since he first went to sea, All his perils and scrapes, and his hair-breadth escapes talks of boa constrictors and lions and apes and fierce bengal tigers like that which you know if you've ever seen any respectable show carried off the unfortunate mr monroe then diverging a while he adverts to the mystery which hangs like a cloud or his own private history how he ran off to sea how they set him afloat not a word though of barrel or bunghole see note how he happened to meet with the algerine fleet and forced them by sheer dint of arms to retreat thus saving his violet one of his feet here just touched her toe and she moved on her seat how his vessel was battered in short he so chattered now lively now serious so ogled and flattered that the ladies much marvelled a person should be able to make himself both said so very agreeable captain norman's adventures were scarcely half done when percy lord ashdale her ladyship's son in a terrible fume bounces into the room 
and talks to his guest as you'd talk to your groom, claps his hand on his rapier and swears he'll be through him. The captain does nothing at all but pooh-pooh him, unable to smother his hate of his brother. He rails at his cousin and blows up his mother. Fie, fie, says the first, says the latter. In sooth, this is sharper by far than a keen serpent's tooth a remark by the way which king lear had made years ago when he asked for his knights and his daughter said here's a go this made ashdale ashamed but he must not be blamed too much for his warmth for like many young fellows he was apt to lose temper when tortured by jealousy still speaking quite gruff he goes off in a huff lady a who is now what some call up to snuff straight determines to patch up a clandestine match between the sea captains she dreads like old scratch and miss whom she does not think any great catch for ashdale besides he won't kick up such shindies were she once fairly married and off to the indies act three miss violet takes from the countess her tone she agrees to meet norman by moonlight alone and slip off to his bark the night being dark though the moon the sea captain says rises in heaven one hour before midnight i e at eleven from which speech i infer though perhaps i may err that though weather-wise doubtless midst surges and surf he when capering on shore was by no means a murphy he starts off again at sunset to reach an old chapel in ruins that stands on the beach where the priest is to bring as he's promised by lettera paper to prove his name birthright etc being rather too late gossin lying in wait gives poor father onslow a knock on the pate but bolts seeing norman before he has rested from the hand of the priest as sir morris requested the marriage certificate duly attested norman kneels by the clergyman fainting and gory and begs he won't die till he's told him his story the father complies reopens his eyes and tells him all how and about it and dies act four norman now called lameni instructed of all goes back though it's getting quite late for a call hangs his hat and his cloak on a peg in the hall and tells the proud countess it's useless to smother the fact any longer he knows she's his mother his pa's wedded spouse she questions his nous and threatens to have him turned out of the house he still perseveres till in spite of her fears she admits he's the son she had cast off for years and he gives her the papers all blistered with tears when ashdale who chances his nose in to poke takes his hat and his cloak just as if in a joke determined to put in his wheel a new spoke and slips off thus disguised when he sees by the dialet stime for the rendezvous fixed with miss violet captain norman who after all feels rather sore at his mother's reserve vows to see her no more rings the bell for the servant to open the door and leaves his mamma in a fit on the floor act v now comes the catastrophe 
Ashdale, who's wrapped in the cloak with the hat and the plume of the captain, leads Violet down through the grounds to the chapel, where Gawson's concealed, he springs forward to grapple, the man he's erroneously led to suppose, Captain Norman himself by the cut of his clothes, in the midst of their strife, and just as the knife of the pirate is raised to deprive him of life, the captain comes forward, drawn there by the squeals of the lady, and knocking Giles head over heels, fractures his knob, saves the hangman a job, and executes justice most strictly, the rather. Twas the spot where that rascal had murdered his father. Then in comes the mother, who, finding one brother, had the instant before saved the life of the other, explains the whole case. Ashdale puts a good face on the matter, and since he's obliged to give place, yields his coronet up with a pretty good grace. Norman vows he won't have it. The kinsmen embrace, and the captain, the first in this generous race, to remove every handle for gossip and scandal, sets the whole of the papers alight with the candle. An arrangement takes place on the very same night all, is settled and done, and the points the most vital, are N takes the personals, A, in requital, keeps the whole real property, mansion and title, V falls to the share of the captain, and tries a sea voyage as a bride in the royal Eliza. Both are pleased with the part they acquire as joint heirs, and old Morris Beaver is bundled downstairs. Moral the public, perhaps, with the drama might quarrel, if deprived of all epilogue, prologue, and moral. This may serve for all three, then. Young ladies of property, let Lady A's history serve as a stopper to ye. Don't wed with low people beneath your degree, and if you've a baby, don't send it to sea. Young noblemen, shun everything like a brawl, and be sure when you dine out or go to a ball, don't take the best hat that you find in the hall, and leave one in its stead that's worth nothing at all. Old knights, don't give bribes, above all never urge a man, to steal people's things or to stick an old clergyman. And you, ye sea captains, who've nothing to do, but to run round the world, fight and drink till all's blue, and tell us tough yarns, and then swear they are true. Reflect, notwithstanding your seafaring life, that you can't get on well long without you've a wife. So get one at once, treat her kindly and gently, write a nautical novel, and send it to Bentley. Note on Billy the Norman An incident very like one in Jack Shepherd, a work some have lauded and others have peppered, where a Dutch pirate kidnaps then tosses Thames Darrell just so in the sea, and he's saved by a barrel. On the coast, if I recollect rightly, it's flung hole, and the hero half-drowned scrambles out of the bung-hole. It ain't no sich thing. The hero ain't bunged in no barrel at all. He's picked up by a captain, just as Norman was arterwards. Printer's Devil. End of note. End of section 26.